Hi, I'm Frankie Frayne, and I've been making movies since I was a kid. I've made three low-budget feature films of varying success, and I went to film school. Twice. For better or worse, I've developed a science for completing feature-length projects on pocket change, and it has a lot to do with the kinds of conversations you'll hear on this podcast with teachers, friends, and artists. You don't have to pay 40 grand a year for bad advice. This is Discount Film School. All right, sitting down with Sean Clark today. Um, this is a guy who I went to the the uh, Masters of Fine Arts with um, at Emerson, and uh, and who who frankly I thought flew a little under the radar the first year or so. Is that true? I, I try to fly under the radar <laughs> all the time, uh, but especially in the first year in the program I did. We were yeah, we were in like one class together, and and I was like. Uh, and then there's Sean. <laughs> we yeah. were in just a studies class together, so I didn't even get to know like what you were into. Yeah, I don't talk much in classes when I'm when I'm a student in the class. If I'm teaching a class, then I try to talk as much as possible to make right. up for all the times I didn't speak in classes that I. Uh, so you're you're teaching now as an adjunct uh, at Emerson and at uh, West at Wentworth, Wentworth Institute. So at Emerson, uh, I taught in the fall and the spring. I taught teaching film production classes, which is a lot of fun because. I don't get to shoot on 16 millimeter film that much anymore. But uh, oh, so they still do that in film school? They still do that, even uh, here. Even here, yeah. <laughs> no, it's and a lot of the students are really excited about it. So it's it's really great to to be able to, to teach those classes. Wentworth is a little more of a struggle because I'm teaching uh, theory classes um, to students who aren't film students. So the language oh, that yeah. I'm used to using in a classroom is very different than what architects and engineering majors use. So and it's an undergrad. They're all undergrads. Yeah. yeah. So it's not all, like they had like four years of some other study where they can kind of like. No, it's it's starting. It's like. Some uh, of them are 18, I bet. No, well, yeah. A lot of them. Some are 18. Some, a lot of them are juniors and seniors. And they're they're just taking this class to get some credits to graduate. They don't really care about the subject matter. So it's me trying to get them excited about yeah. the stuff that I studied my whole life. Do you ever have that moment where like I always kind of viewed like, uh, teachers sometimes as like failed stand-up comedians. <laughs> like, do, you, do you ever have that moment where you're like <laughs> they're not biting? Yeah. Uh, that's constant throughout my, my time teaching. Trying to make something funny or make something exciting and realizing that everyone's You're bombing. Asleep. Yeah. <laughs> my, favorite, my favorite teachers are the ones who they put a thought out there. They want the class to respond to it. Um, they're not getting any bites. It's all silent. And instead of like talking more, trying to coax it out, they sit there in silence until some brave soul says something. Well, that was a lesson I learned actually from Rob Sabal when I took his media pedagogy. Yeah, class, yeah I took the same class. Yeah, which is to have confidence in that uh, in that silence. So I use it a lot. Sometimes it goes on for a little too long, and then people start giggling. But yeah, you know, if you wait, usually somebody will jump in there. Just I guess gig- giggles would be a weapon against that. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but uh, students are giggling. It's not so great. But we never. I didn't have that pro, that problem in the master's program. I, I also I hate silence. Obviously, it's why I podcast like a maniac. So uh, so I'm always the first to, to say something stupid. Um, but but I got to know you uh, as the years went on in the program as uh, as a filmmaker, as, as not just some guy in the class, but as, as a, and as a filmmaker, I really admired. Um, you, you're you're known. By the people in our circle or the people in kind of our greater world as um, a really proficient cinematographer. But I think there's a lot more going on than that. Well, I didn't I, – when I was younger – back way up. When I first got involved with filmmaking, I was a, a tech nerd. I got involved with public access station in Cambridge, Cambridge Community Television. I really wanted to uh, – to just learn how to use every piece of video equipment that was ever created. And Why? Was, what, what, what made you like – it was, it was just the, the – the excitement of learning something new, being able to control technology. Yep. 
And so whether it was a, I mean, at that point, computers were still pretty new on the scene, but just video technology, just learning how to do it all. It was, it was like an exercise and just control for me. Being so it's a, it was a, like technology was what inspired it, not necessarily like, hey, I love movies. No, it was technology. I did not love movies to yeah. begin with. Um, it wasn't until high school uh, that I started taking film classes and realizing that there was an actual art to using. So it, it wasn't just button pushing. It was, yeah, beyond right. those, it was using it as a means to an end. Um, Mark Fields, who now teaches at Emerson, uh, was my high school film teacher and really turned oh, me really? on. Oh, really? Yeah. And he really turned me on to just watching movies that I'd never seen before. Yeah. Yeah, he teaches documentary here for the he most part. Yeah, and uh, and he yeah he's really he he uh, he recently did a number of documentaries for PBS and um, well, he's he pretty the, pro. The one big one, yeah, the, the banjo, the banjo one. documentary. Yeah. Give me the banjo. Um, and so it was in high school. I decided I was going to study. I had already gone so far down the rabbit hole that I just decided that I would stick with filmmaking and yeah. go to study it in school. <laughs> I know uh, too much about this yeah. one. Topic, the, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can't. I can't become a, a pilot now. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Um, so I, I, I went to NYU for my undergrad. I wouldn't want to be a director. And, um, so you went to Tisch school of the arts. Of the arts. NYU. So that, that is a school that, um, is very hard to get into. I, I don't know why they took me then. <laughs> how did, how did you swing it? Do you think? Oh, I don't, I mean, I had really great high school. I mean, I had a really great high school film program. Yeah. I think it prepared me well. Mark had taught at NYU and, uh, oh, I see. He, he That's awesome. Him. Yeah. So he. he we had a video. You know, a, a lot of people are like, um, we had no video program at all. We we had. I was in. I was in this public school that was pretty underfunded. We had a video program, mm-hmm. but it was um, like kind of a. They took the old sh- like they used to teach shop at this school, and they took the, the shop, shop and they threw some like VHS cameras into it. And every now and then they'd get somebody like a me who was like way into it, like enough that it almost justified the whole thing. Yeah. Um, and like we, the, our teacher was um, was a WBZ four uh, news cameraman and Fox news cam Fox twenty five news cameraman mm-hmm. for Boston, and so he knew like tape to tape editing, he knew you know that kind of stuff. We had some like VHS decks, but it was enough. It was enough to be like, okay, this is a real thing. This isn't me playing in the backyard. No, well, it's really tough with with any type of film or video program is it's so resource heavy to be able to just start like say yeah. I want to make a movie it's obviously it's going cheaper now yeah now you can go out and spend 500 bucks well, but that mental block is still there just from like just years of it being that way yeah. people still think of like um I can't get you know they have the, everybody's got a great idea for a movie and and there's this like insurmountable mountain of like just to get started yeah I don't just need a canvas and a paintbrush I need like a hundred people yeah, and all people this. and ten thousand dollars and yeah yeah yeah, and I need to be in L.A. or New York or something. Yeah, I have to be in a city just to express myself, just to get my exactly. great idea. So, um, yeah, but I, I, I uh, Emerson is kind of like the um, uh, a breeding ground for a lot of people who don't go to Tisch. Because well, Tisch is is still, I think, to this day, is still considered um, kind of like the premier film school, like the film school of the well, country. Well, there, I mean, USC and you, also has its has its. Uh, Reputation and, and status in that in that field, but all because of George Lucas, <laughs> Robert Zemeckis. And yeah, um, NYU was great. I mean, it was it was it was almost exclusively narrative based fiction filmmaking, and at the time, that's exactly what I wanted to do, and I wanted to be a director. 
And so I was there. I was surrounded by all these people, all these other students, kids who wanted to do the same thing, and everybody wanted to be the best at doing that. Yeah. And so that environment was perfect at the time. It's was, known for its competitiveness. Oh yeah. And it, is that true? Is there anything? It wasn't like people were fighting in the hallways, but you know, you wanted to the the, the upper level classes. You had to compete for allotments. Not everybody's film got funded, mm. so you had to so you had to make. You had to write a treatment and a script and then sell it to your class. Maybe it was 50% of the students in the class that got an allotment. Now, that's really – I want to talk about the allotment thing because that's – in my in my mind, in my 2013 mind, that's a real old school way of doing things of like we've got some money. Whose movie are we going to make? And it's gonna, it's a good way. It's a, it's, an, it's a smart way of like, look, we can only make so many projects. Yeah. You'll all do something on the film. But nowadays, the, the, the paradigm seems to have changed where it's like you, any one of you can be a director and a cinematographer and a sound editor on your own film. You're all going to make your own film and it's all going to cost nothing yeah i mean there are advantages and disadvantages to it so the advantages being that you know some of the projects that were more well thought out rose to the top and then there was more energy put into those by it through collaboration with the students whose projects didn't get funded um but as you said like everybody should be able to make a movie and yeah. so you know if you're signing for a class you're paying the outrageous tuition that nyu is charging and you don't get to make a movie in your class that kind of sucks but if everybody gets to make a movie it means that their your tuition dollars aren't necessarily at work because you could have done that at home sure. outside of school oh yeah but i've always thought that film school the 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 its greatest asset were the people around you that it, it's it's a club it's a it's a group it's a um, you challenge one another. You you hate one another. You love one another. Yeah. Like, that's what makes you a good filmmaker. Yeah, and, and there was in um, NYU is a big program, but within the program, you have your niches and your and your and your cliques. Yeah, right. And people are able to um, create those bonds and friendships where it. I, look, I was working on a film every weekend when I was there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Either shooting as a, I didn't become a DP until my last two years, but either as a DP or helping as a gaffer or an AC, there was always a film going on. There's yeah. never a weekend that I. Could not find a project to work on, and you always were looking. You always were like, "This weekend, I'm do- I'm making a movie because that's you know, right now is the time yeah, to climb Mount Everest." That's what, yeah, exactly. That, that, <laughs> if when, when in Rome, yeah. And so when at NYU, you're in film school, you want to be working on films. And um, was that the culture, like, in, where most people yeah, like that? Because yeah. you because you knew that you had a film that you needed to make a month from now, and you needed to help out the you know ten friends that you wanted to be on your crew. Yeah, and so you go, you bust your ass with them. They show up and, and help you. Social capital. Exactly. You build yeah. social capital and then you expend it in one right, wild right. weekend. Um, <laughs> Which now the social capital thing still totally exists. I, I think even more so. Um, and, and and Kickstarter becomes a big piece of that too where you can't – you really don't want to blow your load on every project. Yeah. Um, you want to you, – you, you don't want to tap somebody for help every day. I actually have a, a, a – a lot of hesitation with Kickstarter within like a, a an academic institution. I do too. You know, within in terms of outward uh, fundraising for a film, it's totally fine. Mm-hmm. When it turns into you know twenty students in one program all asking each other for money, it, it, there's something that just doesn't feel right about it, and that's that's my only concern. Well, to get on the soapbox, to, <laughs> to get on, to, 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 I, I have a number of problems with it. The, the chief one being that I was really excited to finally find. Uh, filmmaking as an art in a place where it is where anybody can do whatever the hell they want yeah. um, not to get romantic about iPhones and being able to make movies with them but it's true you fucking can and um, and for that reason that like that that brick wall should come down and to me um, as well intentioned and sometimes as intelligent as a Kickstarter campaign can be to me all it does is it it takes somebody who hasn't made a movie yet and it goes well, fuck I can't do it until I have some dollars and, and so I guess I'm going to have to – but what do most people do? Oh, it looks like everybody's doing a Kickstarter. That's something I can do alone in my room that doesn't require me asking people directly for help. So it kind of yes. br- – it brings that wall back up. It does. I mean I, there are some projects that require 
resources that, that Kickstarter can provide to them. And, that, and I think that it's But it's your amazing. class project is not one of them. Well, it depends on your class project. But yeah, I, but I, not for, the, for, me, for me, it's the idea of, of money being exchanged. I've, I've worked on a number of films as a cinematographer in the school, and I will never, on an Emerson project, ever take money for one of those projects just because I'm a student in the, in the program. It's our job as a, as a unit to help yeah. each other out and make that happen. And, and once money gets involved with that, it kind of the whole house of cards falls. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Kickstarter, I think, kind of uh, complicates that relationship between people. You know, If I get $50 for one project or $25 for another – why and when and how? Not that, really I haven't, not that I haven't. Not that I haven't donated to plenty of the projects here, it's, and I don't do it with any hesitation. It's just when I think about it on a macro level, it's, you know, it disrupts the academic thing that you were going for. Yeah, yeah, or just like the the camaraderie that we have. And you're, besides, at that point, you're just back at, at zero anyway, right? Sure. Like, if nobody had money to begin with, and right. they'll give each other money, well, why not just give your own movie money? Exactly. That's that's what I'm looking at. <laughs> so, um, doesn't make economic sense. Yeah, no, I think Kickstarter is amazing. For a lot of reasons, it's just that, that one issue, and it's within when it becomes a, a inside of a community, how yeah. it's all handled because that's becomes your network of friends in grad school is all are all the people you're working with in school. And I guess I just have an issue with the um, like feeling like you have to. Oh yeah, feeling like you have to spend money to make a good movie. Is, yeah, is also like a, like try really hard to not a few times, and then you'll start to see. Fuck, this is the area that if I had money. Um, I could do this really well. It yeah. all, I always suffer in this area. And then you'll know what to spend it on because I've seen enough projects where it's like we need 3K. And I'm like, so if I'm a budget guy, um, which I'm not, but I have to be because I make movies. I'm not. <laughs> That's probably why I don't direct movies anymore. <laughs> I, I, I start to ask the question like, well, what for what? Like let's get some line items for like what – let's itemize what those $3,000 and very often they're like – either like I don't know. I think that should pretty much cover – some stuff, right. and it's it, it's kind of loosey goosey, and then and and some I've seen that, that is a real problem, um, especially for somebody like me who asks for free help all the time. Um, you've got like a free crew, a free cast, but I got this one cinematographer I want to hire. He's really good. Right. Um, the Kickstarter campaign is going to go to pay for him. <laughs> that, that's just going to kill more. No, it does. I mean, if you're going to pay your crew, you got. If you got to pay somebody in the crew, you kind of have to pay everybody. Is there a quality paid, thing there? Yeah. Paid crew, that, yeah. And so, um, yeah, money complicates everything. Yeah, right. And that's and 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 something I've said for years is like once you get to a certain once you have an, enough of a budget, it immediately necessitates all kinds of new costs. Right now, you're working in this right. this new layer of budget. If you can keep it low, if you can keep it real low, you can fly under the radar as you want to do in your first year, and uh, uh, and you 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 can kind of like you can get away with the free locations. And look, you might not want to do that your whole life, but you can get you can have some real awesome learning experiences that don't require you to lend out your house. Sure. Um, good example. Somebody who's in our program, Yan. Yeah. I mean, so I, I admire your film too. So yeah, like yeah, I think yeah. it was amazingly, amazingly well done. Uh, and I worked very close with Yan on his uh, Yan Hajiao on his. Yeah, he's, he's awesome. Yeah, he's awesome. He made a feature film. He may have, in total, spent a thousand bucks. Yeah, just on feeding everybody and transporting people, and maybe that's it. Bare necessities. Yeah. Absolute bare necessities. Yeah. And I think his film was really successful. Yeah. I mean, because because he leads with the most important thing, which is the story, the, story and the people. The, yeah, and then just the craft and how he's telling yeah. the story, which can be um, – which when you're spending a lot of money on films, sometimes forces you to play it really safe. Yeah. And Yann was anything but safe. And partly because it didn't matter. If, he, if we screwed up on the film, 
or if we screwed up on a scene, we just do it again the next day. It was going to cost no money to show up the next day and shoot the scene over again. Yeah. Whereas if you're dropping three thousand dollars for a day of shooting and you have all this gear rented, if you need to go back and do reshoots, pressure's on. The pressure's on. Yeah. Right. And so that that money uh, issue can lead to watered down art in a way because you're yeah. not you're not free to express yourself in the most interesting way. There's this there's this interesting argument that that I've I've. I find myself arguing both sides all the time and I, I really don't take a stance on, which is um, getting back to the 16 millimeter, which I'm assuming you were mostly shooting at NYU. Uh, it was changing at the time, but a lot, yeah, a lot of projects I shot was, were on 16 millimeter. Yeah. And were you a cinematographer on a lot of those? Yeah. I mean, I didn't direct very much. At, 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 I, I took the um, sophomore level it's called sight and sound film, like the intro film class where you direct five short projects. Yeah. And then the summer, that was my sophomore year between my sophomore and junior year. I went to Prague. A, for study abroad the family. They have one of those here too. Yeah, yeah they do. And I went there. I, I really wanted to go. So on the application I said, I'll either be a DP or director. Whatever you want, just let me go. <laughs> yeah. So whatever they want to sign me as. Um, I got selected as a DP. I went there and um, there was a shortage of DPs. So a couple of DPs including myself got to shoot two films. And they had some of the most brutally honest but amazing professors who taught there. Mm. And that process of being able to work on the art of cinematography and just focus on that was like a light switch that went off for me. And it was so much fun that I, when I went back oh, to New York, that's what, that's when I started focusing on cinematography. So you, um, so you weren't necessarily cinematography inclined until you went to Prague? Well, I might've been as a, as a director, I, I was always concerned with shots, shot sequencing, visual directing, visual directing. I, yeah. I hated working with actors yeah. and to this day. I cannot really work with an actor. What, what, what is it that's it's like, just, I, I uh, <laughs> I'm a pretty cut and dry person, so when it comes to putting together like uh, to, to, to accomplishing something that needs to happen on set, we make it happen, and that's it. The process of having to become emotionally yeah involved with a scene or like it just it, it of of not knowing whether or not the moment can strike or what that moment means or what it means to reach a moment and all yeah. all that actory talk like just doesn't. <laughs> have doesn't, you ta- have you taken like directing actors classes? No, or? I refused. Really? Yeah. Not, not for you. No, not at all. <laughs> I've read a about acting and we, I had to do I, the, some of the writing classes I took at uh, NYU, one in particular uh, creative and or dramatic and visual writing, but that professor ran it as if it was an acting class. We had to improvise and, and do all kinds of stuff. Yeah. But outside of the fact that I just hate doing it myself, you know, playing make-believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, That's so weird. I, I just, I, talking to actors and I, I totally respect and, and love watching Love letting directors do it. Yeah, I don't want to be involved with it. Interesting. I I, I used to feel the same way um, until I were I had a few really good experiences. Uh-huh. It's that's what it takes, I guess. But the uh, very initially, um, I, I I I got really disgruntled with how difficult it could be to get. Well, also, like, let's face it, like, actors do come with a certain personality type that's, like, they tend to be, like, kind of, like, tardy or, like, not always, like, there. And it's supposed to be somehow part of what they're doing. Um, but the good ones are, are, are kind of research-based, homework-based. They want to spend a little time beforehand. Um, and, and I enjoy acting. I, you know, I enjoy doing it with them. So Yeah, no, it's not, I, I can appreciate a good actor and I can appreciate a good performance by an actor. It's just the, the process of getting there that is just – I don't have the headspace to like uh, invest in it. Is it a little – I, I never thought of this. It's, it, it almost – I used to work like as a busboy and, and as a dishwasher when I was in like high school. And it reminds me a little bit like crew and cast. It's a little bit back of the house, front of the house. Oh, definitely, yeah. Yeah, where, where it's like you know the, the actor – 
is claiming that they're emotionally drained, yet the crew's been working for 20 hours physically. Drained, yeah. physically. Um, it's it's and I, I actually think both are totally right because I, I I used to think like actors were kind of bitchy in general and then I start I, I yeah. it, it's kind of true, but then I did it a number of times and and you do and start you were, just, and you were really bitchy so I was bitchy like, <laughs> let's face it and I was like you know it's okay to be bitchy <laughs> I need um, some water yeah <laughs> and I have no place being bitchy either <laughs> like I'm not anybody's first choice for casting. Um, so so but that's the thing for you that you're like oh I know what I can. I didn't really know what I could achieve until you talked to those uh, those Prague professors. Well, they they set up a puzzle, which they did these really. One of the guys was very old, and he gave these lectures in a very soft, slow, deliberate manner. But and some of it, in retrospect, is very obvious. But but he set up this this almost like a puzzle to me, where he was uh, differentiating between literature and theater act, theater, uh, theater productions, and then film production. And what does it mean to be? to be a filmmaker versus being uh, an author or being a theater director and all those things that he talked about, you know, being a, you're active in the visualization, whereas the, an author is passive in the visualization yep. and the audience is then passive. In the, and all those things be, became a puzzle of sorts to me to be able to tell a story. Mm. You have a story that's written on a piece of paper. How do you take that story and show it on a screen in a way that does justice to the vision you want the audience to have? Right. And that became sort of a puzzle to me to to to, to figure out how to, to sit with the text and do that work. Well, yeah. Well, I mean, if I read a piece, if I read a story, I get certain images in my head. Mm-hmm. Are those the right images? Can I change those images and, and put them on the screen? And so that that became um, my creative challenge as a cinematographer. I mean, that's your job as a cinematographer. Yeah, that's the whole job. Yeah, you know, they've said the, the same thing about actors. It's like it's your job to take that text, interpret it into a character, and then make it happen. Yeah, right. And. Uh, and being able to focus on that, and, and um, you know, going back to my being nine and being at the public access station, like learning how to use cameras, and and then learning how to use light in order to do that, it was was also part of the, the puzzle. Yeah, a lot of people are freaked by lights. I'm freaked by lights. Oh, don't don't be freaked by lights. Really? <laughs> I think I think most people are freaked by lights because they overcomplicate lighting setups. You think so? Yeah. Let's talk tech for a second. Okay, we'll talk tech. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not really a techie though. When it comes to, especially when it comes to cameras, I'm, really? I'm not a techie. No, I, I, I mean, I know enough to to get by, but I'm not, I'm not. I can't name all the like new cameras that came out in the past year. Yeah, and well, all sure. their specs and stuff. Well, you're probably light years ahead of of most people who are just breaking into it. But like, talk about that. Like, um, if somebody were to to be inclined to overcomplicate a lighting setup, well, what's a typical overcomplicated lighting? Well, just setup? too many lights. I mean, some a lot of people get in there and start turning on a whole bunch of lights. And the truth is that you want to start with you, your main light for the yeah. – see and turn that on and see this what happens. This is what they all say, yeah. Start there. Turn it on. Look at it. Step back. See what you can do to that one light. Once you're done with that, then you start adding more lights. Um, break it into pieces. Break it into pieces, yeah. Because if you start thinking about a, a, a really elaborate lighting setup with 10 different lights – at the same time, you're going to get lost. And so, your problem solving is going to break down. Right. Because you don't even know you what's, know what's doing going, what. Right. Yeah. Well, and then also when I talked to CEO, I uh, see the cinematography professor here at Emerson yep. always used to say, you know, one light, one job. So every light should have a single job. Don't try to do 15 things with one light. Mm. You know, there's if you need to light one person's face, get a light, hit them. Now, obviously, in practice, you can start to um, a single light can serve multiple purposes in a scene, but if you start thinking of it in, in a more simple way, then it's much easier to, to approach lighting a scene. Gotcha. So now, so you're you're you come back from Prague to New York. You have this kind of um, new approach altogether. 
Yeah. And now every project you're a cinematographer from that point. No, on? no, no. Because uh, I, in order to be a cinematographer, I need a crew to work with, and so I'm wheeling and dealing with my classmates over. You know, as I'm working as a cinematographer, and then when I'm free, I'm working as my friend's gaffer. So yeah. that he'll be my gaffer, then, or my friend's AC. So you're still just in that culture of like we we all make movies. We all make movies. Yeah. yeah. There's no. I mean, there was certainly a specialization starting to happen, but I, I wasn't directing any movies at that point. I didn't mm. take any of the upper level production classes. Do you get like a minor in cinematography or something no, like that? No, it's just not officially. I mean, just like a BA. I, I did. Be, it was a BFA. It was. BFA. It was. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, essentially, I would concentrate in cinematography. I took all the cinematography and lighting mm. classes, but uh, but it wasn't official on my transcript at the end of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Any like standout projects over the course of those four years? Um, well, the most enjoyable was my my friend Ethan Goldhammer, who is uh, who was from Cambridge as well. I went to elementary school with him. He and I were roommates. I don't know. We both went to the MIT. Oh, school. right on. And so his thesis project was shot in um, back here in Cambridge with a bunch of friends that we we had growing up. So it was kind of a nice culmination of my studies at NYU was to come back home and work on a project yeah. there. So it's called the Cambridge Companion. It was uh, it was a lot of fun to work on because it was a blending of two worlds. Like mm-hmm. a lot of people from New York came up to work on it and a lot of friends there. Um, and that was a, uh, like a short narrative? or That was a short narrative. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then the two projects I shot in Prague were both shot in 35 millimeter film, which nice. was um, – Really uh, brought on a lot of anxiety when you're you're shooting it. For the, yeah. I mean, having not been a DP before heading over there, you're just burning money every <laughs> every time you click that thing on. Right, and um, yeah. So in those two projects, I'm, I'm still happy. Even as the first two projects I've shot, I'm really happy looking at those. Um, the thing uh, earlier, I started to say that um, I'm of two minds about something, and it was about working with film, and it's the this core argument of like, well. The expense of the film makes you more deliberate in all of your choices. Therefore, you're going to be better planned. And the sort of the digital world says you have more options, you can play more, you can improvise, you can discover. Yeah. Um, but you'll be less well planned. Um, yeah. Well, it, and those, you know, that, that's that's one um, fair way to look at it. Um, it can also be overwhelming in some way. So I'm teaching film. I taught film one in the fall. Yeah. Film one. I'm so not. film film one is a is a class at Emerson. It, it, they have these at most film schools. You shoot on a Bolex camera from like 1950. Right. Um, so it's, it's completely mechanical. It's hand cranked. They they shoot on 16 millimeter reversal black and white. Exactly. So that means that there is no negative. What you put into that camera yes. is what you're going to be projecting. And what you're going to be cutting on the steam. And what you're going to be cutting so on the steam. That back. film is going to travel to the lab back. You're going to put it on the steam back, cut it up, and then show it in class. Yep. And my job as a film one teacher, at least the job that I uh, assigned to myself was to, well, it's multifaceted. One is to excite students about filmmaking. Okay, just in general. Just I want you to be happy and excited about, about making films. Two is to give them confidence in the technology. Like, you know, how does this work? So yeah. that you can control it and you can master it and you can make what you want to make. Yeah. But then three is, is, to, is to also breed creativity. And so not to make it so overwhelmingly technical uh, that they all come out with like cookie cutter projects right. and to leave room. And there are some things you can do in film that you can never do in video. So when it comes to hand scratching and uh, direct animation, hand manipulation of film, those kind of things don't exist in video. Mm. You can't do that. And so, so you encourage that kind of thing. Yeah. And maybe not – probably not to the same extent that other – I don't have as much experience with it as, as other um, – Like a Rob Todd or something. As Rob Todd or yeah. Kevin Raimi. Um, I do – I am uh, in awe of it. And so I encourage it. I, I present it as an option and let students do it. And if they are going to go down that path, strongly encourage it. I mean even just that statement of like let's think – 
about what we can do with this that we can't do with with our digital cameras. Right. Um, and and let's always think about what we can't, you know, whatever medium we're using, whatever it is, what can we do with this that we can't do with something else? Exactly. And that's the best, that's the most fun. That's that, those are the most magical moments in cinema, right? Yeah, right. Like what this happened on the screen, this can never happen in any other medium yeah. of storytelling. Yeah. And those are the moments that, that you strive for when making a film. And then, you know, I guess in cinema in general, and when you're talking about 60 millimeter film, what are the advantages to work on 60 millimeter versus digital video? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. trying to find what those are. For sure. Um, so then you, you enroll into the, uh, how many years after undergrad? Just one, a year? Or no, I. Uh, when you I, enroll in the MFA? Work, no, I, I graduated in 2007, and then I immediately went to work at Cambridge Community Television yep. as the, the access coordinator there. So I was organizing um, the training program that they have. And so developing courses, um, hiring instructors, and generally just teaching the community, the Cambridge community, how to pre- produce their own media. Mm. So the, all the classes were geared towards learning how to use a camera, editing software, and then lighting and sound, and teaching people how to, um, how to make their own programs. And I worked there for two and a half years. So no stranger to teaching. No, I was, I was teaching a lot. I, I worked, let's see, by the time, when I was 15, from every summer from the time I was 15 to... 25, I taught in the youth program at CCTV. Mm. So the, the summer youth program, six-week intense um, youth program that they run called the Summer Media Institute. And I taught every summer for 10 years. Wow. Holy shit. I, I, I love the, you know, I, I don't um, do it professionally yet. That's why I got an MFA. But I, I, I really love, um, I really love teaching filmmaking. And, and, and I think it's because what got me into it in the first place was the demystifying of it. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, learning that a movie isn't made by a giant robot in the sky or something like that, that like, if we break this into pieces, here's how you can do it. And here's how you can like, here's how you can make something that you, that you don't see in Hollywood. Here's something, you know, and, and, and so the few times that people have approached me and said, Hey, I saw that stupid movie you made and it made me want to go try that to me is like the, the highest compliment I can be paid. Yeah. So do you get that same gratification out of it? Yeah. I, I love watching students struggle Yeah, right. and then succeed. And because it's not, if it's, if it's too easy, it's not fun. You want to make everything easy. That's yeah. the goal as a teacher is like, listen, this is easy. This is easy. You can do this. It's easy. But, but it's not easy. And yeah. That's like the, the, the secret that you don't share. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, um, well, it's like teaching algebra, right? Or, or sure. anything yeah, else. Yeah. Right? Anything else. Like, yeah. And, uh, and so watching students come up with, with a project that they're happy with and that I'm, I can be happy with as well is, is the biggest reward. You see interesting projects come out of these film ones and whatnot. Definitely. Yeah. And because I, uh, because so much of the work is done outside of class, right? It's, it's not like I'm sitting there watching them put the film together. It's, yeah. Here's what you're going to do. We talk about your idea. They go off and come back and it's, uh, it could be without being present. There it is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Boom. It's done. Uh, but yeah, film one, film one is, is really fun to see the range of different projects. And they still have to cut on the steam backs. Yes. They yeah. get to cut on the steam backs. Aha. Aha. So we know where have, you stand on this. They have the luxury of. Because <laughs> some people, uh, yeah, you, you mentioned Rob Sabal who taught uh, pedagogy. He's like a big like, why are we still doing this? This makes no sense. He he, he looks at it. We, he and I had a small argument about it once because I went through, I went to Emerson for undergrad. Mm-hmm. I, did film film, I did the film. I did the film one. I cut on the steam back and I'm glad that I did. Yeah. Um, but what I can't say for sure is that it taught me like 
that it made me a better editor. And, and yet I'm really glad. I'm like, you know what? I'll always be able to say, like, I cut on a steam back. I got to cut, cut, cut on a steam back. You know, that's a dead art. And he was like, well, then really you're just wearing this, like, hipster badge of honor. <laughs> and I was like, well, maybe. <laughs> well, but I, I don't uh, – I'm not of the mindset that cutting on the steam back will make you a better – Nonlinear digital editor. Yeah. They're going to be better on the Avid because you, I mean, some people make that argument because you understand where the technology was based off of, you know, or Final Cut Pro, you have bins. And, yeah. And so it, you give, it gives you context to, to work. It's more in, interesting, in the, isn't it, than, than it is helpful. Well, it's just, it's another, it's another means for, for accomplishing the same thing. Being able to piece together shots physically uh, with, with you know, uh, splicing tape and, yeah. and scissors. It is, is the exact another, thing. Yeah. yeah. It, it is the same thing. And, and I think there's, I think there's a benefit, as subtle as it may be in like the filmmaker's career, to having that experience of doing it physically or so? doing it digitally. Even analog. I mean, I wish no reason to do this, but imagine tape having people do tape to tape editing in <laughs> in film too. Like yeah. just just because they need appreciation of the. <laughs> well, that's the thing. Is like, what? How many things do you require nostalgia for? Like, you know, like do we have to do um, like video superimposition? You know, live. <laughs> Well, yeah, no, it's, it's a good, they're good questions. I mean, the, the the place within any filmmaking institution of, of having film is 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 like a, an ongoing debate. Like yeah. Where, how does this fit in? Um, again, I, th- I, I still think there are things you can do on film that you can't do on video. Yeah. And I think that, uh, and as you, something you brought up, like the the uh, the financial, the fact that you have money running through the camera in a way that you don't on digital yeah. forces a certain level of uh, of concentration and focus and care that is good in the development of being a filmmaker. It's probably good for a student. It's probably really important yeah. for a student. It kind of it kind of uh, makes you grow up a little faster. Mm-hmm. Um, I I don't think that I would want to work that way now. Now, yeah. Well, doing a narrative. I mean, sexually frank shot on film would not would probably have caught. It probably would have uh, increased your budget by. Yeah, 20, 20, 20 times. times. Yeah. yeah, right. Um, exactly. Uh, and, and it wouldn't have been better for it. Yeah, I don't think so. No. I, I, I think the core of that film is, uh, I mean, although I, I do, I, I'll, I'll never argue that like, I think that, um, I think 16 millimeter has a texture that does feed into storytelling. I also think VHS does. Yeah. Like, I think every medium has its thing. Like VHS, uh, horror movies are scarier on VHS than they are on DVD. Well, yeah, and you have to choose the technology based on the project. It's not like I have a project and I have a budget, so therefore I'm going to shoot it on 16 millimeter. Is it, the question is, does this film need to be told in 16 millimeter? Is it better served on um, on video? Melissa Campbell's short uh, piece that we worked on her graduate project, uh, yeah. where she was a, you know, we purposely shot on a crappy tube camera. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It wasn't because we didn't have access to a film camera or a high-end digital camera. It's because that was the aesthetic you wanted, that she wanted to go for. I think that's what we, what I hope to see more of is mm-hmm. like, all right, so like as we move through mediums, formats, cameras, are we going to be able to look backwards and pluck them as a like an assortment of well, we, we tools? Hope that's the goal. Yeah. We, because obviously the trend or the 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 – MO for most people who are filmmakers is to get the biggest, best yeah. camera that you can afford. The highest resolution. Highest resolution. Yeah. Um, and given that we now have this this uh, this growing assortment of different cameras and technologies that existed in the past, being able to – You have an armory. Them, yeah. yeah. And being able to so- select them um, for artistic means is, is important. So this is a big reason that, that I've, I've really liked your work is because um, I don't think you could show me a movie that you shot – and be like, doesn't that look like a Sean Clark movie? 
I don't think I, – I, I, I think there are things that you're interested in. I think there are things that you do. But in like you do suit the story first and foremost. Well, A, because they're not my movies. Yeah. I work I, – I, that's not to um, to distance myself from from the project. But that's just to say that they're not my movies. I totally if you were a director, do you think you'd see more of a visual voice through all the stuff? Or not probably not because my – I mean I, I, I don't have the, the attention span to – to stay focused on any project too long. <laughs> but there's, there's no way that I would know, um, like, like, you know, Yan's movie I thought was, um, the cinematography was, was pinpoint perfect for what he was going for. And yet if like when somebody was like, well, Sean shot that, I was like, Sean, he shoots movies that look like this. Cause I seen like one other movie you've done. And so it's, it, it, I, I really love that, that it's, um, it almost has kind of a, uh, a, a Soderbergh sense to it where it's like, uh, just whatever suits it, you know? Well, sure. And, but it, it comes back to that idea that these are not my movies. And so every time I'm, I'm taking on a project as a cinematographer, my job is to create the movie for the director. Yeah. To create a visual style for them. And that can be, that can be very combative at times. It can be very cordial. And, and Why funny. would it be combative if you're trying to do their movie? Uh, because I like to challenge directors. Mm-hmm. I'm a very quiet guy in class, but on set I'm anything but. And uh, and it's because if we're gonna do the most, the best movie that I'm working on is a movie I'm working on currently. You know, that's that's my mo. Is if I'm on, mm-hmm. if we're gonna get together and be on set to make a movie, then we have to put all of our energy into making this as good as it can be. Good being a subjective term, but putting everything, putting as much brain and intellectual energy into making this this movie great. Um, obviously, a director has. Uh, a number of things that they're concerned about, and um, and my job is to focus on the cinematography. And so, if I feel like the cinematography is being overlooked at a certain point, or we're not fully uh, thinking it through, yep. then I will point that out, mm-hmm. and I'll be as stubborn as is appropriate. You won't pull a punch about it. You'll 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 be like, we're overlooking. Yeah, yeah. Well, what about um. I mean, there, there's definitely a school of thought of like, you know, you've studied to be a cinematographer. You know what you like. I've communicated the story. I'm going to my directorial choice is to leave it up to you. Um, do you like that? Is that a little directionless? Uh, given how much I've, uh, how combative I guess I've been in the past, some people would, would probably think that I would prefer that. Just let me figure this out. But the truth is that those magical moments that we we're talking about of cinema come when all the different pieces are are working together. Yeah. It's very hard for me to just set up a shot and the director just, uh, work with the actors and then show up and just make it happen. It's about those, those, uh, it's about the, the, uh, the way that it's all working together. Mm. And so it's, it's hard to just be left to my own devices and not know what the director's thinking for the director just to leave me to my own devices and, and not know what I'm thinking and stage. Yeah. It all needs to, it all needs to work together. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's, it's the more, Obviously, the, the more you talk about it before going into production, the more you sit down and, and really hammer out things and look at different um, source material, different pictures or or things, uh, looking at painting sometimes for, for lighting. Uh, yeah, I love all that homework. That's, all that homework, yeah. yeah. That, can, that, can, um, that can help set up the kind of the shared knowledge or the shared driving the project. Where they don't need to be working with you the whole time. You, you, you've done that work in advance. Right. Um, you know kind of what you both want. Or what, what the what suits the film, but I think that there there's definitely an element of like um, 
for, for, as a director, like you surround, especially if, if you're like me and you're a director producer mm-hmm. where you're kind of, you're bringing everybody together. The, some of the excitement is I brought a bunch of talented people together and I'm really excited to see what they come up with. Yeah. Like I'm guaranteed the ideas will be better than mine. Um, so, so I, I always, I do like to start with their instincts, mm-hmm. um, and, and then adjust. Uh, but but I, I always look at it as my job to just communicate effectively to – if you can articulate an idea, mm-hmm. I think you've, you're like 60 percent there in terms of being a director. Sure. Yeah. If you just communicate that to all the different departments. Well, you, 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 as a director, you can start with the non-negotiables. I need this shot to yes. say that this actress is sad. Yeah, right. That's what I need from the shot. If you, if you can start by giving everybody a, a sense of what the mission is or the, the goal is of any particular shot or any particular scene – then everybody's going to be kind of working towards that ultimate goal. Yeah, right. Um, you know, if a director comes in and says, hey, uh, okay, this actress is going to sit here. I was hoping that that light could be on and um, and then the camera could dolly in and then, you know, and then in the background I want this poster. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's, let's start with what – let's start with the, the, the overall goal because if you, if you just start – What are we trying to accomplish? Yeah, what are we trying to accomplish story-wise? Yeah. Even. The technical stuff, you know, we have a team of people that are going to – isn't that funny that that, that that comes up that that concept that you're talking to all the time um, with filmmaking with with any kind of team teamwork really which is uh, people who are focused on details and people who are focused on overarching concepts yeah and um, and look it's not to say that you don't need detail oriented people or people who do know the monkey buttons uh, as I like to call them but um. But 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 that those shared concepts is really what's important because I can't if you're my cinematographer I can say look like as long as it does this and I'm convinced it does this then then here now we've defined your the boundaries and we defined your room to play right yeah yeah no give give me a box and then let me let me loose it and then yeah. I will figure out and ultimately the director has final say so give me the box let me set it up I've set up the shot you come look at it do you like it or do you not like it yeah right. That's and then that's you know, that's kind of the the process by which I like to go by on set. You know, give me the rules, tell me what we need to do. Mm-hmm. Then, director, go work with the actors. The entire, you know, depending on how big the crew is, whether it's just me and a, a lighting person or, you know, a eight person camera lighting crew. How are we all going to work together to, to make that happen? Yeah. And, um, and then the director obviously gets that that final. Yeah or nay. Yeah. I mean, that's ultimately what we're really there for. <laughs> right. Just, just to shoot down dreams. Yeah. Right. And demand things. Um, so so I, uh, when I first met you and then even into our, our workshop classes, I didn't know that you were uh, cinematography focused or that, that you were kind of cinematography inclined because um, the program is structured in such a way that everybody has to do a thesis project. And you don't get to be a cinematographer as your thesis project. You have to be a director, right. writer as your, and, and and that's a real point of contention in the program. Yeah, I, and I, I've actually voiced a lot of. I go back to before I even started the program. I came in to meet with Jan just to talk. I, I was interested in the program. Program director. And I told yeah. her that I was a cinematographer, and she said, uh, "Yeah, well, if you come in this program, you're not, not going to just be a cinematographer." Yeah, I was like, "Oh, okay, fair." And so. Um, that didn't mean that I wasn't at all going to be a cinematographer because I knew that I wanted to do that. Um, but what what does it mean then that you have to be a director, or does it mean you have to be a writer? It means that you need, or I mean, as a cinematographer, like I said, these are these are not my movies. And when I'm a cinematographer, I'm working on other people's movies. Yep. And I'm obviously very creatively involved with them, but they're not my movies. Mm-hmm. And I think what Jan was getting at is that you're going to make your own movies. In this yeah. Program. Whatever that ends up meaning. Whatever that means. And so yeah. my first year, I I. I 
purposely signed up for classes in this program that I wouldn't have taken in the past. So instead of, um, let's see, instead of writing the short story, writing the short script, I did writing for interactive media. Uh-huh. I took the interactive media classes, the production class, my first. Oh, semester. yeah, yeah. And so I was trying to push myself to do things that um, I knew nothing about coming in, into this program. And so my first year, I did some interactive. First and second year, I, I did mostly my own work was mostly like interactive work, combining combining obviously the um, filmmaking with that. So were you afraid that like, you if you didn't challenge yourself in that way, you were going to start to repeat yourself and just work out the same muscles that are already strong? Yeah, and, yeah. and it's just I'm here in this grad program. It's the last time I'm going to be in school for film. And Emerson, mm-hmm. unlike NYU, has that a little more of that interdisciplinary. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas NYU was almost exclusively narrative, narrative fiction. fiction. Yeah. Emerson, I think the narrative fiction filmmakers were, I mean, at least in the grad program, were a minority. They were, yeah. We were. Documentary, yeah. yeah we, <laughs> I cart myself in that group. And, yeah. uh, you know, and then there's the new media contingent, which we just had Russell walk by. Uh, you know, there, there are different, it, there were factions, but it, the best part about the grad program here was that everybody was forced into these same classes. It wasn't that there was the documentary class that all the documentary people were taking. It's that we're going to have this workshop. And everybody's just at the table and talk about these these projects. I, th- I think that's a, that's a benefit of the program too. S- s- some people didn't. Uh, some people look at it as like, why am I sitting here learning about interactive, or why am I doing this documentary crap? I, yeah, I think that's a mistake. Yeah, I think so too. Um, if, if for no other reason than because you you, I mean, exposure is a good thing. Yeah. But also uh, coming to understand that a document a documentarian tells a narrative story. Yeah. Just like you're doing, yeah. like you're actually, you know, you, it's, there's different ways to skin a cat, but, um, you're both writing a script. There's a shared, uh, there are shared qualities between all the, if we think of the big three or big four, we'll say narrative fiction, filmmaking, documentary, mm-hmm. experimental work and interactive work. All of them have their own unique, uh, in terms of production, their own different challenges and, and, uh, concentrations you need to take, but they're all going to end up on a screen. Yeah. Right. And, uh, and you can learn something from everyone. If you're if you're a narrative filmmaker, you can learn something from the other three. In the same way, the documentary filmmaker mm-hmm. learns from the other. Three. It's 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 all. Uh, it's important to be well rounded. If you have your head up, yeah, yeah. Um, That's the difference between Emerson and like I went to visit AFI and uh, Chapman. I went to LA to see the schools out there. You know, if I went to school out there, I would have gone to a conservatory program as a cinematographer, and I would have just done cinematography. Yeah, right. And on one hand, that may have appealed to me, but on a when I thought more about it, it really didn't appeal to me. You know, CEO always talks about how, and he talked about it on this podcast as well. How, like, he went to AFI, but his way around it was, I'm I'm not going to study cinematography. Right. I'll just study directing. I'll study the thing that that makes cinematography difficult, which is working with this director. Sure. You know? Yeah, um, it'd be like, but to me, I, I told him at the time, I said that's really bold. That's almost like if I decided, you know what? For my master's program, I'm going to go into an acting program. And you know that's like it's that, that that's a major you know expense to to just learn what the other side of the fence looks sure. like. Sure, yeah. Um, but it's also really smart and and uh, and really brave. Uh, I I think it's easy to go like eh, I'm sure I know what it's like over there. Well, you have so Emerson, you have three years, which is actually not totally typical. These these MA, it's a long programs, program. yeah, you usually have two, and so you could look at it as having a year or a year and a half to really just experiment and. There, unfortunately, is like this real drive towards thesis production from the moment you walk in the door. Yeah. What are you going to do for your thesis? I don't know what I'm going to do for this. I'm really stressed about my thesis, which didn't exist in the first year and probably not for most of this. I mean, as little as possible for the second year. And a lot of the frustration with um, with such an emphasis on directing 
I experienced myself and I saw with others is is that you know the work that you're doing as a in collaboration with others, not necessarily being the director, is not value. Like you're showing that at your um, portfolio review is not really yeah kosher, and it's not help. People don't don't like it. Mm-hmm. Faculty, um, and that's where I think the mistake is: is not being able to look at collaborative work, even though there, when there's a hierarchy, there's a director, and then you're you're serving some other uh, collab- uh, creative role, not being able to hold that up as being something that's important. Yeah. Because it can be very important. Oh, it's 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 everything. Um, for me, it led to working with, with you know the crew and cast were mostly not from the program right. because I just couldn't tap uh, people who were busy with their own shit. Um, but it was interesting. It was you know I I've learned over the course of several features now, which which I don't necessarily uh, recommend that people start off with, but at least it was in that same way that 35 millimeter, it has that instant grow up factor. Uh, if you are committed to getting through that entire feature schedule, uh, you'll, you'll grow up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you'll, you'll start to, you know, it's a, it's a quick way to learn. Definitely. Um, it's, but it's all, it, it is kind of like trying to learn how to jog by like signing up for a marathon. Um, you know, it's like, this doesn't make any sense. Uh, I'm going to join the Olympics. Well, it's, it's like a bat. People put the weights in their bats before they go to, yeah. when they're in bat, and then they take it off and they go to the, the plate and they're ready to like you know, yeah. swing through the fences and it, it's a lot like that. Yeah. Um, but, but I, I have learned how to, um, even as the director, even though it is my movie, the fucking thing is called sexually Frank and it's about a bunch of my life. Um, it still didn't feel, uh, with, with, you know, once you surround yourself with the right people, you communicate the right way. It felt like we were all there making a movie yeah. and it wasn't even necessarily mine. And now moving forward onto the next project, which is a, a Jeff Torelli written project. Mm-hmm. Um, now it really feels like, you know, he wrote it. I'm going to direct, I'm going to make it happen. Um, you know, I have, I have a lot of creative priorities and I'm going to kind of push them forward, but I'm, 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 I'm looking at myself almost as more of a facilitator than anything else. Oh, that's the job of the, of the director. Yeah. A good director, especially to not make it, I mean, but that, I mean that, that's the best kind of setup, right? Everybody's, uh, deferring, uh, the credit for the project. Yeah. You know? Right. Right. It's not me. It's them. It's yeah. not, no, no, it's not me. It's, it's you. It's, it's so happy that, which I think is the most humble way to have. have yeah. Like, instead of going like, yes, this is all me. <laughs> yeah. Right, I right. made this. These <laughs> other made, people helped me a little bit. I made right? all these people show up <laughs> and help me for many, many weekends. Well, I, and that's what, for my thesis project. I, 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 um, I worked with, I, I created five short dance films. Uh, you know, I did not run camera on any of them purposely because I, I was, Shooting plenty and for my own these like, Who did? Who ran camera? Because they did a fantastic job. So you know, what? talk about the what is the project first of all? Because I really it, it it's like everybody looks at me as like the anti-experimental guy, which is actually bullshit. Um, I I just don't like when experimental film tropes are used to disguise mistakes. Oh yeah, no. Uh, Does totally, that make sense? I, it makes perfect sense. Okay. Uh, my my thesis project here at Emerson for the grad program was. Uh, there's a series of five short dance films. They were very, very, very loosely based on uh, James Joyce's short story, Evelyn, mm-hmm. which my friend JP was always like, this would be make a great short film. And I was like, all right, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll steal that idea, but I'm going to do it with dancers instead. Oh, interesting. And it was just really to give context and characters to some of the dances. But um, each one was its own piece, and it took its own process. So for the first project, it was just a single dancer on a rooftop in the apartment I was living in in New York. Um, and my friend JP came out and did camera for that one. Uh, the second piece was oh, so a different camera op per oh yeah. Dance. Oh, so the one the one the second piece that I shot, Alex Peacher was out uh, running camera for me. It was shot in a dance studio in mm-hmm. New Jersey, and then I ran one other camera. Most of the stuff used was, was Alex's. Uh, the third dance, the cameras were strapped. The GoPros were strapped to the dancers, so nobody was operating. Huh. <laughs> Except the dancers. 
Uh, yeah, that's right. I remember that. That was awesome. The fourth piece, the camera was in the water. It was in a, it was in a big jar. And so, again, nobody was really running the camera. And then for the fifth piece, uh, my friend Ethan came out and did a lot of stop motion. Uh, mm-hmm. Like uh, It was made up of a series of stills. And so They were all so distinct from one another in visual style. But the dances were also really distinct from one another in dance style. Oh, yeah. And um, so it, was, it had kind of a... Um, uh, uh, shoot, why can't I? Uh, who, who was the, the 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 experimental filmmaker who experimented with motion uh, first for this American uh, experimental filmmaker? Oh, you're uh, Fuck. Uh, uh, it's he, on the, she. She. It's on the tip of my. Was it Maya Darren? Yes. Yeah. Maya Darren. Oh, that was she was the she was the her film called The Study of Cinematography for the Camera was the main inspiration for this. That idea of what what can the camera do to transform dance? Yeah, right. What can cinematic techniques do to transform the dance? How, and so that was my, my mission throughout all the different pieces was what can I do that can only exist on film? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that was the, the guiding. Like for me, yeah, I wanted to make five different films that all, that all kind of related to each other. They, they have some arc to them when they played back to back to back, but there are five different films with very different techniques. It felt so short, but I, if I remember, it was kind of it, like it was lengthy, actually. 16 minutes. It's a lot, 16 minutes is a lot of minutes to watch motion. Dancers. Yeah, right. Um, I mean, if, 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 if it doesn't work, the whole thing falls apart. Yeah, well, and I'm... I look, I was, we're talking about the facilitator, director of facilitator. I was working with really talented people. So my uh, choreographer for the project uh tom dow is his name he's a choreographer in new york super successful had his own dance company he's the one who pointed me to the dancers like we're gonna use elise because she's awesome uh and then i have these other two dancers from juilliard evan and anthony and they're awesome too and so i would show up i could bring one of the camera people or i'd bring when we're shooting the more um the, the projects that required the you know i'd bring the idea yeah but for me i was facilitating i was not making every creative decision i was saying the camera's gonna be in the water you have this dance worked out. The camera needs – you need to perform to the camera. Let's make it happen. Yeah, right. And we'd watch it back together and say like, yeah, that's good. That's not so good. Do more of that and, and just go through the process. That's back. a really exciting space to start from. I, I, I keep finding that people um, – people who have called me and been like, I can't get past this or I can't like – looking for fucking advice from idiot me. Um, <laughs> they're, they're always in the situation where – they're like, you know, if I just already had the footage, I could edit it well. <laughs> if I just already had it all written, I could revise it. Uh-huh. Um, it, it. It's so much easier to take something that already exists, to take clay that already exists and sculpt with it. It's a lot harder to fucking make clay. Right. Um, and so that's why my, my suggestion is always, why don't you just charge forward with the wrong idea? Why don't you just charge forward with some bad stuff? No, definitely. And then sculpt it later. Right. Um, you know, if if you're worried about like your script or something like that, I you know I really want it to be good. Like, just write a horrible script, and then you can, and then you will be in that stage. But it sounds like you know if you have if you have dancers from Juilliard showing up, and they have that worked out, like you're almost already at that stage where you're like, nice. Now all I have to do is adjust. Right. Well, that, that, so going back to the idea of shooting film, like if, if you treat it as if you treat the process as being too precious, mm-hmm. or striving to do the most important, impressive, best thing ever every time you shoot something. Just nail it. It's yeah. overwhelming though. And so you, you need to start by just like, look, I need to press record. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I need something to start happening. Yeah. You know, it's the same thing on set. You know, people show up in the, <laughs> you're by convention when you're making a, a you know, doing coverage of a scene, you, the idea is to do a master shot, which tends to be the most complicated shot of the scene. And then you go in for close-ups. And people kill themselves on set because they're, they're struggling with getting these like complicated master shots pulled off. You're like I'm going to do this. I'm going to do the hardest thing first. I'm going to do the easiest stuff. But you, you kill you kill morale and you kill everything. So whenever we're shooting, like let's 
when I'm working with the director, I'm like, let's do a nice, easy close-up to start. Mm. Then we at least we've recorded something. Yeah. And then once you have something recorded, everything else just starts to flow much more simply. But if you're trying to – if you spend three hours to get the first shot off, you, you kill morale. Right. I, I work a little bit backwards in that way where I, I tend to start with – because, you know, I got to – let's say I, I book a good location. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I only have it for an hour. I got to shoot like three pages in an hour. <laughs> like how the fuck is that going to happen? Um I start with if I don't get to shoot any more, what do I need to have a film? And so so if I can just get a dirty master, a dirty one, mm-hmm. that like now we've pressed record so it's starting to feel a little bit more real to the actors especially because they like to they – they're actually like, can we not shoot the rehearsal? No, let's shoot the rehearsal. <clears throat> what difference does it make to you? What difference really? does it make? Right. No, but because it – triggers something yeah. mentally that's like oh this is real suddenly so it gets that it gets that momentum uh, momentum started and then i can you know all right so the ma- so look if i if if all we ever did was watch a master i guess you could hear all the dialogue and you could see all you could see all the motion i don't try to get story. a per- never would try to get a perfect one that's really dumb uh get it dirty then yeah. go in and uh and and that seems to be kind of the qu- the way to get it done quickest but also to get that momentum flowing oh, yeah. but i'm so with you on that where it's like um I've, I've actually gotten criticized by, by some actors love it. Some really hate it where they're like, you're the guy who always just goes, let's just shoot it. Like, I guess that's something that I say. I say that like a, like a knee jerk. Let's just shoot it because it does. It, it just forces you to start to analyze the decisions you've already made by virtue of shooting. Yeah, no. And it's great because like you're on a movie to shoot. especially with digital, uh, with digital video, mm. there's, there's no need to not shoot it. There's, yeah. there's no justification for not just rolling on a lot of things because, I found myself – this is something that, that's really tripped me up where I've known an, a number of people who have taken – have done full weekend sh- shoots, like really hard, long shoots, and they never edited it. That, th- that to me is like I, I, I have to go home that night. I probably shouldn't. I should probably sit on it, whatever. Uh, yeah. I, I'm actually really annoying when it comes to directors uh, and rough cuts. I'm like, did you cut it together yet? They're like, yeah. did we just shot yesterday. I'm like, yeah. I would what are you waiting for? Yeah. They're like, I'm probably going to start editing next week. And then I have, uh, I was going to go and oh like get a haircut. And then I might finish. <laughs> it might be like three weeks off a rough cut. I'm like, what? you get their whole academic. Just idea. Cut, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm, yeah. Like, I'm like, no, just, just cut, cut the, cut the rough cut. Like, well, especially when I'm in, it. when I'm in the throes of, of a film, um, my immune system kicks in everything that's required to make the movie like biologically happens. Yeah. When I rap, I die. You know, but but the the, the editing uh, is part of that. Um, I have to go home that day, and I uh, you know some people are like, don't show people rough cuts during the shooting. I like to show rough cuts during the shooting. I like to show like first of all, you're not wasting your time. See, there's a product. Yeah, and that 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 goes a long way. Where people people have said like they're like, look, I read your script and I didn't even like it, but I but I said that I would do it because I you have gained a reputation for completing things, and there's, there's and a lot that's, to say for that's that. important. And, yeah, and that that. That can be a, a real burden to a lot of filmmaking artists in general is, is, you know, trying to spending so much energy that you don't finish a project is is the worst, most demoralizing feeling. Yeah. Um, and having the, the ability to just pound through and finish things is, is an important quality. To have, yeah. You know? Even if it's bad. <laughs> Even if you, it's bad. You won't <laughs> think it's bad, hopefully. You know, hope, hopefully you'll, you know, three years from now you'll think it's bad. Uh, but I mean, but the, the naturally, whenever you're making a product, like you, obviously you you, uh, pendul- you you go back and forth between thinking this is like the most awesome thing I'm making, this is the stupidest, worst thing I've ever made. Yeah, in my you life. do. And it's like we day to day, even you're like, oh man, I don't want. <laughs> but if you just finish it, then you can make that evaluation at the end later. Yeah. If you don't like it, then you don't have to show it that much. Yeah, right. But right. at least it's finished. Um, 
Sean Clark, ladies and gentlemen, uh, do you have do you have a site or anything? Any movies that people can see? Like it's, they're probably going to be interested. Can uh, they see the the dance uh, film, the thesis? I haven't posted that um, publicly yet because I'm still trying to navigate the film festival world, and I've heard that posting it publicly can hamper that. It's true. SeanClark.com. S h a u n c l a r k e. Okay. Everyone misspells my name, but yeah, Clark I, with an E, Sean with an A U. With an A U, and uh, I, yeah, I, I post a lot of links to projects I've worked on there, and the dance film is actually screening at the LA Showcase this year, which will be the Emerson LA Showcase, which will be only the second screening ever since my thesis. Since the <laughs> yeah. actual, yeah. So I, I'll post it online eventually, but it's yeah. so if you're in the LA area, um, go check it out. <laughs> <laughs> All those people in LA. Yeah. Um, thank you so much, and and Thanks you mentioned JP. I want to talk to him at some point. Yeah, you should well. get him in here. He's we didn't talk about about the music video, but he can talk at length about it because. Um, we worked really hard this past summer on that, that project with Mark Santos and yeah. a bunch of other Emerson yep. people as well. Right on. Thank you so much. Thank you.